You're listening to 2, 5, and 10, your source for bullshit-free NHL news, analysis, and insights. Now, here are your hosts, Kevin Naughton and Ben Stewart. What up, everybody? Welcome to episode 48 of 2, 5, and 10. I am excited. I might be a little biased, but this is the Atlantic Division preview. I'm sure Benny's going to be a little bit excited about next week's with the Metropolitan. Mm-hmm. We'll get there when we get there. First, we're talking about this one. Benny, what up? I feel like we've been on episode 48 for like six weeks now. I'm trying to get to 50 here, but yeah, big time Atlantic Division preview. I think this is probably going to be the most popular among our listeners out of all four. Uh, even though the Stanley Cup champion is going to be coming out in a Metro this coming season in the Rangers. So uh, we'll oblige with the Atlantic Division preview. Well, I'm happy you would oblige us, you know, your time and everything else. <laughs> um, getting right into it, I mean, I think there's going to be a little bit of turnover slash battling for the last playoff spot here. I think a couple of teams have gotten better so that I think we can all agree the top three is probably going to stay the same with Tampa, Boston, and Toronto. But that last spot behind them, like, I didn't see Montreal get 96 points last year. Like, I did not see that coming. And then they didn't make the playoffs. But, I mean, Florida got better. I think there could Buffalo be Buffalo got better. Buffalo got better. Like, I think there could be a battle in those last two spots. And wild card one and two, whether it's coming from the Metro or the Atlantic, is definitely going to be interesting this year. Yeah, I feel like outside of the Pacific, the Atlantic is quote-unquote the easiest division in the sense that you have Ottawa and Detroit at the bottom which are going to be stomped all over by teams like Boston Tampa and Toronto all season long um compared to some a division like the Central and Metro where the Central is just brutal top to bottom like we talked about last week and the Metro is wide open so I wouldn't be surprised if any team wins the division in the Metro this year but in the Atlantic it's just you have a couple of teams you can pummel on and once you get into that top four, you're probably nearly guaranteed a playoff spot, uh, considering how the Metro is shaping up. So, yeah, that third, fourth spot is going to be huge this year. Agreed. And should we fire it up? Are we starting from the bottom yeah. again? Bottom up? Yeah, we're going to pull a Drake here and start from the bottom. Uh, now we hit. The Ottawa, Senator, <laughs> the Ottawa Senators, of course, finished dead last. Uh, 29, 47, and 6 for a total of 64 points and a negative 60 Goal differential. Uh, this offseason, a little eventful for them. Uh, they basically turned into Toronto Maple Leafs 2.0. They brought in Connor Brown, Nikita Saitsev, Tyler Ennis, Ron Hainsey, and made the trade for Artem Anisimov. They, uh, and going out the door, Oscar Lindbergh, Brian Gibbons, Zach Smith, Cody Ceci, and Ben Harper. They added about $4.5 million in salary for this coming season. What do you got? I think they're going to be a lot better than people think they're going to be. Uh, Pierre Dorian has done a great job here in acquiring young talent through the draft. Stockpile of prospects and draft picks. Two firsts this year and three seconds. Outside of that, though, when you kind of look at it, it's definitely a learning curve. You got Brady Kachuk there. You got Logan Brown. And then after that on your offense, it's a little iffy. I mean, obviously, Whitey, I love Colin White. But you got an agent, Bob and Bobby Ryan, who still hasn't been to that top caliber level that he's getting paid for. You bring in Artem Anisimov. You get Michael Bodker. 
JP Pajot, I mean, the guy, he's like the craziest hot and cold I've ever seen in my life. Like when he's hot in three games, he gets like 12 goals. But then when he's cold, it's 20 games of nothing. So, yeah, Ranger fans will remember him from that playoff matchup where he lit us up. Yeah, like it, when he's going, he's going. But when he's not there, it's like, what the hell are we watching? And then you look at it, you, you kind of fill in, like you said, Connor Brown. You got Anthony Duclair, who is another one of those guys of, will he ever become the player that he, well, we thought he was going to be. When you look at the DN, though, I don't think they're that bad there. They got Thomas Shabbat. Um, Dylan DeMello, that solid guy on the back. They, they got Mark Borvietsky, who's just out of his mind. Uh, they bring in Ron Hainsey for that veteran leadership. They bring in Zaitsev. I, I don't think that's a complete awful. It, it's not good, but I don't think it's as bad as some other teams. But then you look at the goaltending, and Craig Anderson and Anders, like they're going to see a lot of rubber this year, a lot of rubber. And I just don't think they're good enough to bring you up. Through it, though, I think they're on the turnaround. I think the way he's built them and the way he can go through the draft and trying to acquire talent, I think that's there. I still just think the hardest part for them overall, when you look at it, is going to be free agents because I don't think anyone actually wants to go there, and that's the hardest part for them. Yeah, I, we kind of touched on the Senators a couple of weeks ago, and we disagreed on kind of where their path is right now i'm at the opposite end i think so coming to the offseason obviously they're in a full-blown rebuild and the objective is to get as much talent and draft capital as possible to continue to rebuild i think it's too early to say if that succeeded or failed in just this past summer he did a good job uh he signed Colin White long-term, not to form New Jersey Devils defenseman. This is a different Colin White. Uh, I like this Itsef edition, especially when you're swapping him in for Cody Ceci, who I think is terrible. And I don't think Itsef is as bad as everybody in Toronto makes him out to be. Uh, outside of that, there are three or four things about Ottawa that I can say that are positive. Brady Kachuk, Colin White, Thomas Shabbat, and... Nick Saitsev. Outside of that, I feel like everybody else is replacement level outside of maybe Connor Brown, who could have some untapped potential, especially since he's going to get probably top-line minutes in Ottawa. Outside of that, I just see veterans hanging on by a thread like Tyler Ennis uh, and Ron Hainsey. I see replacement level guys like Christian Jaros and Duclair and Chris Tierney, who's penciling as a second-line center. So... Yeah, they could be heading in the right direction. I like the foundation that they're kind of having with Shabbat on defense. Could chuck up front, and they have Logan Brown that might be seen sometime this coming year uh, up the middle. Uh, Vitaly Abramov in that trade uh, was a good addition as well. I just think he was. they were put in an impossible task of trying to turn around a roster in a way our episode is structured to be winners in the offseason. They have to be heading in the right direction because it can't get much worse than last year, but I don't think it's going to get much better than last year. I will give you four of their prospects to look at. Uh, Alex Formenton, I think that kid is going to be an NHL player rather quickly. And then they have three D guys that I think are going to be legitimate. Uh, Lassie Thompson, 
Eric Brandstrom, who they ended up getting in that trade, and then Maxime Lajoey. I think that I don't want to say for Menton, but if those three D can come up and play that the way that they played, and you can bring them and add them to Thomas Shabbat, I think this rebuild could be a lot quicker. I, I don't know when they're NHL ready. I know they're very good hockey players. But if they can come up and then you have a solid top four like that, I mean, if you're building from the back end out, that's the way to go. But then you got to find the goalie, and that's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I feel like they're hoping Brandstrom develops into not just an offensive specialist, but a top four guy. And I see them hoping that he slides into that Hainsey spot next year where you have Shabbat on the first pair, and then you have Brandstrom and Sightstep on the second pair, which, like you said, you're starting to build out that foundation. So, yeah, they're making moves. I just, they would have had to pull an all-time summer to basically qualify for a good thing in my mind. And obviously they didn't do that. I just am not as optimistic for this coming season. I think next year, not this coming season, next season you'll start seeing a little bit of turnaround. And then a year after that, if they find a actual number one goaltender, they could kind of speed up that rebuild. But, yeah, not looking too good in my eyes right now. All right, and now one question for you, because you know we're transitioning now to the next team. <laughs> Who do you think finishes in the basement? Do you think it's Ottawa? Do you think it's Detroit? Oh, Ottawa, clearly. I think even though Detroit's another dumpster fire, I just they, oh, Detroit had one of the worst seasons in franchise history last year, and they still finished 10 points ahead of Ottawa. Um I think Jimmy Howard at this point in his career is still better than Craig Anderson in goal, which gives them a kind of a big leg up for a rebuilding team. But yeah, I think Ottawa, they finished with 64 points last year. I'd be shocked if they top 70, 72. All right. So they're going for that number one spot. Yeah. And hopefully they don't trade it away again. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, moving on to Detroit, uh, they finished 32, 40, and 10 last year. For 74 points and he finished with a negative 50 goal differential this past offseason kind of low-key uh like we were talking about it's another rebuilding situation so they're just kind of hoping that another year of experience uh helps their prospects but they did bring back they'll tell you uh Philpola. they brought in patrick nemeth and they let go of thomas vanek Lauren fake and nicholas a long time defenseman nicholas cronwall uh, it's still kind of iffy on if he's going to return or not, uh, so he could actually return the season, but we'll see. And they added about $2 million in salary cap obligations. I think the return of Stevie Y is changing that franchise a little bit. Like You kind of bring the savior home, you bring the captain home. But can he turn this into the hockey town of old? Like, Can he do here what he did in Tampa Bay? I don't know, man. Like, they have a lot of people here. They got a lot of people tied up in cap. Like, I see them, like you said, they're kind of like Ottawa. They're a team on the rise. They definitely have prospects coming. Philip Zadina, Joseph Valeno, Maurice Sider. But then you start looking at other places. Like, you look at their goalie situation. Jimmy Howard's been hurt the last couple of years. He has not returned to the Jimmy Howard of old. And then they bring in Jonathan Bernier on the backside to back him up. And Bernier's kind of jumped from organization to organization. So that has to be a little worrisome. You look at the back end, you got Mike Green as their highest paid defenseman. Like, this isn't the Mike Green that was in Washington. Like, this no. is n like not that good. Not good at all. 
And then you look at the like the aging part of it. Trevor Daly, Jonathan Erickson. I like Jonathan Erickson, but this is a 35-year-old Jonathan Erickson. Mm-hmm. Only plus side there is probably Danny DeKaiser. Everything else is like yeah. that's rough. And their defense is terrible. Not good at all. And then you go up front and you almost feel bad for certain guys like Dylan Larkin, Justin Abdelkader. They've tried filling holes like I like Valtteri Filppula, but what does he give you at 35? He's kind of been on the decline. Like, I'm not really too sure. Franz Nielsen, yet again, 35, making 5.25. Like, I don't think that's good enough. Darren Helm, older Darren Helm. Anthony Manta, that's a kid that he's going to be restricted at the end of this year. This is a huge year for him. Like, mm-hmm. he's a big boy. He can shoot the puck. I They're hoping for him to break out, and I hope he does too. Outside of that, though, I mean, you got the long-haired Tyler Bertuzzi. Jacob Delarose, that's another guy, came over from Montreal, had a lot of high expectations, hasn't made it there. I, I don't know, man. Like, th- they're waiting, and they're just buying time. Like, that, I don't think it's good. I think it looks a little bit better in Ottawa than it does in Detroit. Yeah, that, uh, I'm not saying Detroit is looking good, but Detroit is the unattractive girl at the end of the bar at 12 p.m. and Ottawa is the unattractive girl at the end of the bar at 2 a.m. So you're saying the expectations (laughs) are different. Yeah. (laughs) Um, For me, yeah, the defense in Detroit is not good at all. Danny DeKaiser should be like a 4 or 5 guy and he's your number one. Uh, The golden tending situation is not great. I think Howard, even his older age, is... Still capable of giving you 40, 50 games of solid production, which I can't guarantee for a guy like Craig Anderson. Up front is where I think Detroit is way ahead of a team like Ottawa. I love Tyler Bertuzzi. It was him or Brendan Lemieux that I was hoping the Rangers would somehow be able to shake free. Uh, Dylan Larkin, who's likely going to be named captain either for this season or next, 23 years old, 32 goal score last year, 70 points. That's already pretty much more than Ottawa has. Uh, you talked about Anthony Mantha, who had 25 goals last year. He's a 24-year-old kid. I think he has some promise to be more of like a Chris Kreider type. Uh, then you have Anthony Nassio, who also scored 30 goals last year up front. And that's not even counting a guy like Philip Sedina, um, who should be able to step in and produce more, obviously, than in his rookie year. And then you're looking at some prospects that Detroit has, especially on the wings and Evgeny Sertchnikov. Uh They have Joe Valeno, who I think by the end of the year is going to be pushing Phil Puller out of the starting lineup and kind of taking over that 3C role. Uh, even a guy like Michael Rasmussen could probably step into that 4C role where Luke Glendening is. I just think Detroit is in that kind of weird spot of we have some kids that aren't ready, so we got to fill that those spots until they are, and that's why you have a guy like Franz Nelson um, and Phil Puller brought in. But I just think that they're positioned to turn it around a little quicker than Ottawa. And I think the biggest offseason news, like you said, was the CBY hiring i think that probably injected some life into the organization into the fan base and when you saw what he did in tampa bay who knows if he's going to be able to pull off a duplicate of that but if you're 
somebody in a system or you're on a coaching staff, you're just trusting him because he's proven it. And if you're a free agent, Detroit has a lot of cap space. They have original six team. They've won Stanley Cups. You have a guy like Stevie Y in control who knows what it's like to be on a big stage and who reports in Tampa. He didn't just treat guys like roster spots. Uh, he cared for about them off the ice as well, which helped bring in guys who would take less money. So I think Detroit's really well positioned here. I just they're not going to be getting out of the seventh spot in in this division. Brand new arena. Yeah, Little Caesars Arena. <laughs> I yeah, we're we're going to battle about Detroit Ottawa all year. Maybe we can make a bet on that as well. But <laughs> but uh, yeah. I think looking a little bit better in Detroit than Ottawa, but we'll see. You'll probably prove me wrong in that one. We'll see. We still got that. We we got a whole year of uh, locks of the week. It's going to be yep. fun. <laughs> um, but all right, moving on, uh, going a little bit east over to Buffalo. Another disappointing season uh, for the Sabres. 33-39-10 for 76 points and a negative 45 goal differential this offseason. They were able to bring in a few talented top six, uh, Marcus Johansson. They traded for Jimmy VC. They brought in Colin Miller on the back end. Uh, Jason Pomerville has moved on. They traded Alex Nylander to Chicago for Henry. How about you give his last name a shot here? I love when you try it. Uh, Yoki Haru? Yoki Haru, all right. Um, (laughs) And he actually added $6 million in salary cap obligations for this coming season. I think they're a little bit promising, more of a promising outlook than they did last year. What are your thoughts? Can the new coach change the culture? Because, I mean, they had these same pieces in place last year. And it didn't work. Housley got gassed. They said, you know, he lost the locker room. So be it. Looking at this year, I mean, this is a huge year leadership-wise for Jack Eichel. Because, I mean, can he yeah. finally take them to the playoffs? That, like, to be seen. I, I, I honestly don't know. You look at other places there, like, can VC actually go to Buffalo and break out? Like, it's a huge contract year for him. I think there's a lot of things. I mean, are they a playoff team? When they're clicking, yeah. But when they're not, no. Like, in maybe that's I'm just going off of last year but from what I saw last year like they came out of the gate and they were flying and then it just completely tailed off you look at the lineup and yet again maybe now I'm looking too far going into next season but I'm just going to throw this out there right now currently just up front and don't mind anywhere else just up front only people that are currently on the books for 2020 and 2021 Jack Eichel Jeff Skinner, Kyle Opozo, Marcus Johansson. Every other one of your forwards is either UFA or restricted. Yep. Like, uh, what are you, all in this year? We're all in for the playoffs. Everything else is extra. <laughs> like, I, I don't know where to go from that. That's kind of hard to look at and, I mean, figure out a future. Because, I mean, a lot of guys now, when they hit UFA, they want to test the market. They want to see what they're getting. And, you know, that's that's their right. Then you look at the back end. I think they're okay on the back. Uh, Rasmus Ristolainen, I like him. Zach Bogosian, solid big fella back there. Marco Scandella, Colin Miller. Then you got Brandon Montour, Jake McCabe. Like, 
I like their defense. And not even yeah. to mention who could have been the Calder Trophy winner last year, Rasmus Dahlin. So if you're building your back end, you have a great starting point. Great starting point. Then you look at the goalie situation. Carter. I love Hutz. I love <laughs> Carter Hutton from our time in Worcester. Like, could be one of the funniest guys I've ever met in my life. I don't think Carter Hutton can take you there. Like, he signed a great deal when he went there. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if that gets you there to where you want to go. The only other thing they have, though, is they have possibly the best goalie prospect in all of the National Hockey League in, I'm going to say it, Ukapeka Lukilonen. <laughs> the, the, the kid been phenomenal the last two years in the World Junior, led Finland to that gold medal. Like, the, the kid's a stud. So maybe they're just trying to buy time. We'll see. Maybe they want to go in a different direction. I think Jack Eichel has to earn that money this year. Earn that $10 million a year, big boy. For me, yeah, the Sabres kind of entered this summer trying to fill in some of the uh, wing spots around a guy like Jack Eichel and Casey Middlestad. I think their back end was already solid, and then he added to that. I think they had a pretty successful summer, if you're looking at it, in just that small scope. Um, like you said, I have... Skinner, Eichel, Sheary as your top line. Johansson, Middlesat, Reinhardt on pair two. BC's on your third line. But like you touched on, they're D. I think probably, especially if they don't trade a line, it could be the best one through six outside of, what, Tampa in the Eastern Conference? Maybe Boston. Just, yeah, like... You said Dalene, Montour, McCabe, Colin Miller, Scandella, who's a solid third-pair guy, and then Ristolainen is somehow in your third pair, which is fantastic. It all, bo- all boils down to what they get in goal, like you said. I think Carter Hunton is a solid goaltender. I don't know if he's a true number one. Who knows? You, you can always kind of bank on each NHL season having one or two goalies kind of come out of nowhere and just have that career year that propels the team to a playoff spot. And a playoff run is is Carter Hunt that guy? Who knows? Linus Olmark, he's been around for a few years. Everybody thought he was going to be be that next number one in Buffalo. That hasn't panned out. Like you said, you have their prospect. Dukonin is how I'm going to go with it, the Finnish dude. Lukanen. Yeah, Lukanen. If he's ready or not. If he is ready, I think you go immediately into a, at least a 50-50 split with Hutton, and then Olmark's gone. Um, and then you just kind of ride the kid and see how far he can take you. And if he's not ready, at least you have a solid 1A in Hutton. I think, again, this is getting a little bit ahead. Just I think they're contending for a wild card spot this year if they can just get league average goaltending. If they get that, they'll be there. If not, it's going to be another disappointing year unless they make a move for a goaltender at the trade deadline. But I think they had a very successful summer, especially kind of they added some salary. But all these guys that they brought in kind of slide right into the spots in the top nine that they are projected to be in very pretty nicely there. So I think that was a successful summer. I agree. It was definitely successful. All those guys are interchangeable. 
I just don't know where they're going to go. Like, that's just the hardest thing with me and Buffalo. There's times where they look like they got it together, and then it looks like they've never played together before. So it's going to be... Let me ask you a question about that. So all the UFAs and RFAs next summer, if you're Buffalo, are you kind of looking at it and kind of making it known to those guys saying, listen, we like all of you. That's why you're here. You know your contract situation. We have limited resources that can go to the guys that A, produce, and B, agree to a fair contract. And if one of those two things doesn't happen, you're not going to be here next summer. I mean, it could be that, or maybe uh, Botterill's just using it as leverage. If shit ain't going mm-hmm. right, he's selling at the deadline. Come and take your pick, and we'll rebuild through the draft. And if they get numbers off the books, like say they sell VC or Sherry at the deadline, that's almost five and a half million off the books and two guys. They're already yeah. going into next summer. So I, I just think he is going to be very much on top of, like you said, if you produce we'll offer you a deal. We'll, we'll give you an extension. But if you if not, the trade deadline's coming. And whether we keep you or not, still our decision. Because the only guys there with no movements, uh, at least up front, are the guys they have locked up. Johansson, Opozo, Skinner. Everybody else doesn't have a no movement, so any one of them can go. And he finally got rid of uh, that Molson contract. Yeah, so I, I don't know, man. It's... I'm with you. This lineup, at least top nine wise, extremely interchangeable. Guys can go up and down in between each line, and I think that's huge. Yeah. But finding chemistry is going to be difficult. And one thing with this team, and especially with Jack Eichel, anytime they have gone through the thick of it, Jack Eichel's been the focal point. And he's been the guy that we've seen in the hallway slamming sticks motherfucking this and motherfucking that is but no i mean like is he able to write the ship like you're the captain there they gave it to you at a very young age this is your team now lead them yeah we'll see if yeah like you said this is the make or break year not in terms of his career but in terms of is he the dude or is he just a dude yeah i I agree 100 percent. but all right, moving over, going down to South Florida, to the upswing Florida Panthers. They finished last year 36-32-14 and 14 for 86 points. Uh, they kind of started that upper tier in the Atlantic Division last year. Uh, they finished with a minus 13 goal differential. This offseason, really quiet. Uh, they only brought in Sergey Bobrovsky, Brett Connolly, Anton Schulman, Noel Akari, and Harry Joel Quinville as their coach. Let go of Roberto Luongo to retirement, James Reimer, Troy Brower, Jamie McGinn, and Raleigh Sheehan. And they added $10.1 million in salary cap obligations. Let's do this. One thing for me, at least up front, I I know they had those big additions between, I I wouldn't consider Brett Conley a huge addition. I know they signed him, gave him money. But like between Bobrovsky and Strollman, those are huge pickups for them. Outside of Brett Connolly, if you look up front, like Nolachari is a bottom six forward. We can agree on that. I don't think that's yeah that that's debatable. But like all these other guys have been here. Like outside of that, him, like this is the same lineup that they had last year and they couldn't get it done. And for me, it's like you look at Huberto and Barkov, all star caliber players, like phenomenal players. 
But then you look behind them and they're kind of debatable. Like Mike Hoffman and all the baggage he brings from all that shit that happened in Ottawa. I, I don't know. I mean, he can score goals, but is he phenomenal? Mm, I don't know. Vinny Trocek. Okay. Evgeny Dadanoff, another guy shows brilliance at times and other times just completely gone. Brett Connolly, I mean, kind of rejuvenated in Washington and ends up here. I hope the best for Brett Connolly. It didn't work out here in Boston with him, but, I mean, maybe he still has something in him. The guy looks like he's about 45, but he's only 27. <laughs> uh, Frank Vetrano, I mean, another guy, extremely high ceiling, but is he that player? I don't know. Nolachari, you know what you're getting there. Colton Seaver, another one of those guys, you know what you're getting there. I don't know. Uh, Jace Hallerchuk, I like him. Mm. Go to the back end, though. I really like their back end. Ekblad, Yandel, Strollman, Matheson, McCaution. Phenomenal. You go another step, though, and you go to Bobrovsky. Obviously, Bobrovsky is a Vezina winning goaltender. Like, There's no question there. But what Bobrovsky do you get? Because we don't know all the details that happen in Columbus. And how do you know at a certain point he's not going to check out on you? Is it just because you're paying him $10 million a year? Like, I, I don't know if that's the case, why he would or wouldn't check out on you. It, he can kind of go off the deep end a little bit. So let's see what we get out of him. One other thing here is, is Coach Q good enough to get them to the playoffs? Like, he had those teams in Chicago that were stacked, 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 stacked. Is he able to do it with a team like Florida? That's what I want to see. I mean, he did it with St. Louis and Colorado. I know, but it's like, I, I just feel like this team and these players, like, they've, like I said, outside of a couple additions, they've been that team where, oh, on paper, like, oh, yeah, Florida might be able to do it. Florida might be able to do it. And then they don't. And now a question to you is, do you think part of this is a mental part? Like, hey, I think we're a really good team. You show up to the arena, it's a fucking brown t-shirt giveaway. All you see is brown seatbacks. <laughs> so, no, I mean, like, I'm just saying, like, at what point does that take a toll on you? It, it, you know what it is? They took away them throwing the rats on the ice after they scored a goal after Scott Mellonby, and now no one shows up. And I'm sure they're giving the fucking tickets away down there. Just, it's not a draw. It is what it is. I know we can go into relocation another day, but, like, what is it about this team that doesn't get them there? Off to you, Benjamin Stewart. Uh, that's kind of a loaded question. I mean, in terms of drawing fans, the first issue is that it's not in downtown. It's in Sunrise, Florida, which is like 20 to 30 minutes drive north of, of Miami. Um, and you're not really going to have people who, especially tourists that are on vacation, uh, just wandering into the arena because, hey, there's a game on tonight uh, being played tonight and so-and-so is in town. So they lose that. Miami sport fans, I think behind Atlanta, are some of the worst in the, in the country. Like, even when the Heat were winning NBA titles, they were leaving games early, showing up late. So I just think it's not a great sports market. And I think the combination of that and the Panthers being so bad for so long and then always being that team where analysts and experts say, this is their year, they're going to turn it around. They look at all this young talent. And then it doesn't happen. And then 
the next season that happens, it's like the boy who cried wolf. Everybody in the area is just like, yeah, let me know when they're in the playoff spot come February, and maybe we'll take some interest. So I think that's kind of where that whole organization is at. And I know you highlighted the fact that a lot of these guys have been around and been part of the underachieving Panther teams over the last few years. I think that's kind of a positive in the sense that the guys that have underachieved, they've underachieved because we've expected more of them. And now they have a Hall of Fame coach and Stanley Cup champ in Quenneville, which I know you don't know if he's going to be able to be the guy to turn around. But if he can't, nobody can, in my mind. Like, if you're not going to be able to get it up and get going for Coach Q, if he's not able to get the best out of you, then you don't belong in the league in terms of individual players or as an organization. So I think the Quinnville hire, uh, they've been building through the draft these few years. They finally brought in some veteran compliments like Strawman and Connolly. Like, this is it. Like, if this is another year after the splashes that they made this summer where you underachieve again, you might as well just kiss that market goodbye in terms of being in South Florida. And also, how many years are you going to keep doing it with the same, like, what are you going to do? Just keep running Barkoff out there for the next 10 years and maybe you get one wild card spot out of it so yeah this is a really big organizational year for them and for hockey in south florida in terms of just the players themselves i kind of hit on it i like how they're they just always underachieved barkoff and ekblad haven't really underachieved they've been like the faces of the franchise but in terms of team success and i think quinville coming in there is going to right the ship a little bit i'm not saying they're going to overtake tampa for number one or they're going to be a stanley cup contender but i think he's going to be able to right the ship a little bit i think the Connolly signing is good in the sense that he can play third line he can move up to second line if necessary i'm looking at late winter for when guys like owen tippett get the call i'm looking for when Henrik Borkstrom finally takes the step forward after an all-right rookie of last year, kind of on pace with a guy like Philip Heedle, to take that next step forward up front for them. And then on the back end, I love Keith Yandel. Um, Who doesn't you know, love Keith Yandel? I know. Massachusetts boy. Ekblad is Ekblad. I love Strawman from his days in New York. I don't know how many more top four years he has left in him, but uh, I think he should be all right this year. Mike Matheson... He was only known for that big hit from last season. I think he's a solid top four guy. But Bobrovsky is it. Because last year they pretty much had, if you look at the advanced stats, they had over well above average forwards and defense in Florida last year. It's that goaltending that did him in. And that's why you pay Bobrovsky $10 million. And he had a very, in my mind, poor year last year as a number one in Columbus. I think they would have won a division if he had a normal Bobrovsky year. But is that kind of what you're getting moving forward? You know, he's in his 30s now. Goaltenders have been known to kind of tail off steeply as they enter age 32, 33. Not everybody's a Brodo or a Belfort or Lundquist. So you kind of, you hope they got it right as just a hockey fan because if they didn't, they're screwed. But yeah, it's basically, if it's all on Bobrovsky's shoulders. And I don't know if he has the personality that can carry that. Um, but yeah, that's where I'm kind of at right now. I think they had a very eventful, successful summer. I just, it, once again, it all boils down to what they're going to get in goal. And just one last thing before we go around, you touched on the fans down there. So are you saying that 
Mike as a Dolphins fan is just an absolute <laughs> loser. I just wanted to clarify on that real quick. So just clarify, I don't think Mike's a loser just because that's he's the a wrong answer. Onto the, on the Canadians. Onto the, on the Canadians. As an organization are full of losers. Wrong answer. Onto the Canadians. Let's go. <laughs> and that's coming from a Jets fan. So take that with what you will. Um, yeah, moving on to Montreal. Last season, surprise year, uh, 44-30-8 for 96 points and a plus-13 goal differential. You can thank that to Claude Julien's defensive system because their offense pretty much sucked balls. Uh, this <clears throat> this summer, kind of just wanted to keep things where they were. They made some, I think, margin additions. They brought in a Cousins, Ben uh, Chariot, Keith Kincaid as the new backup goaltender. Uh, Andrew Shaw was traded, Jordy Ben's gone, Anthony Naomi's gone, uh, Nicholas Asalia's gone, and they pretty much broke even in terms of salary uh, commitments for this year. So where do you see them in terms of, are they going to be able to build off of next year's surprise year, or, or is this the year where their true talent level is going to show through? I don't know, man. I, I w- I've been talking to myself all day about that <laughs> and i like I, I don't mean it to be like funny like i i legit because i was sitting here thinking i'm writing all this shit down and i'm like this is a very interesting team because like you said no one saw them being just outside the playoffs last year no one even gave them that with that in a Claude julien system are their forwards able to take over can max domi take over can jonathan drewan take over brendan gallagher like these guys come to play. Paul Byron, Philip Deneau, I'm going to butcher his name, Kokinyemi. I think I might have got that one right. That was right. That was right. Bam. Um, I just want to know if they can do it another season. Like, Because it was just such a surprise. Like, Can you do it again? You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, the kid just took his first step. Oh, my God, let's clap. Well, can he take, <laughs> you know, but it's like, can he take two steps? I don't know. Like, we're going to find out. Like. This team is just a big question mark to me. And like you said, the Claude Julian defensive scheme helped them get there because their offense sucked. But if these guys can actually put goals in the net and then sit back, I think they like they'll probably end up where they were, if not in a wild card spot. So on that end it's weird predicting. Like just don't know what's coming out. Looking at the back end, is Shea Weber healthy? Is he not? Like you never know what you're getting out of the guy. And he's a phenomenal defenseman when he's playing, but when he's not there, that is a massive hole in your lineup. Like, not easy to fill. I see Victor Mete having a breakout year. I think last year was a phenomenal year for him, and now that he's gotten the defensive part of the game down, I think his offensive prowess is really going to show here. You look at the rest of the guys, they kind of fill in. Jeff Petrie, a little bit older. Carl Alsner, we don't know if he's going to be up or down with the AHL team to be determined. Ben Chariot, Mike Riley, Christian Fulham, like I don't see their D being that bad, but if Shea Weber's not there, it can be. So I think that's one of the biggest things. You go to the back end, obviously Carey Price is Carey Price. As long as Carey Price is healthy, he's probably the best goalie in the league. And we could have a debate on that, I'm sure, but uh, he's up there going with it. I think they brought in Keith Kincaid for that reason. Keith had a great year last year with the devils. And now when you look at it is, are they worried that if Kerry gets hurt again, they're not going to have anybody on the back end. 
So they bring him in there for a little mutual failing, a little bit of mutual aid. Hey, how are you? You're not really going to play too much. But if Carrie gets hurt, you're the guy. So I think it's a double-edged sword. One other thing here is with the team they have, because there are some decent names here, but sometimes they don't really live up to their standards. Like Mark Bergevin gets torched up there between his trades and who comes in and who comes out. Is he fallen from grace up there? I don't know. Like, I, I don't know which way you do it because, you, like we said last year, you look at the team on paper, man, they're not doing too good. Eh, they just missed the playoffs. Hey, not too bad. So that's what I don't know. And then the other thing is this, just with Montreal in general, the problem of the French-speaking coach and GM, like, it just completely limits your talent pool. Because if you're going to yeah. gas, say, they come out, they lay a shitter, Bergevin decides he's going to gas Julian, who's he going to bring back? Terrian again? Like, I just feel like it limits your talent pool so much. Like, I understand your fan base is primarily French. Does it still have to continue that way, though? Like, you can have a translator for everything else. Like, they have RDS and TSN. They have both telecasts. One is in French, one is in English. So, like, they have enough backing behind them that they're able to go a different way. Or if they go away from the French, does that take away from the Montreal Canadiens legacy? And I think that's kind of maybe they're living in a century of the past with all their Stanley Cups and everything else. Like, all those were years ago. Like, you haven't even had a sniff. So if it betters you to go with an English coach or an English GM, God forbid you do it. Like, so that's just my whole thing with them as a whole. Big question mark. Don't know. Maybe they get 60 points. Maybe they get 96 again. Off yeah, to you. Yeah, the whole French-speaking <laughs> thing is part of the reason why they're one of the most hated franchises in the sport, just because the pompousness of it. Um, but yeah, I, th- I agree. I think it limits the possibility for even a team captain. I remember that whole thing of Pacioretty yeah. where, oh, he didn't speak French and he can't be a team captain. Like, shut the fuck up, man. Like, if that's the case, there's a reason why a lot of free agents don't sign in Montreal unless they're from Quebec. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. In terms of the team itself, I was going to have this uh, sound effect queued up here, but I didn't want to interrupt too much. It was going to be the sound of something falling from a very high distance because that's the Montreal season in a nutshell for me. <laughs> Carey Price is Carey Price, like you said, when he's healthy. The back end, especially if Weber is just a shell of him for himself or misses a lot of time, I think is one of the worst in the division just ahead of Detroit at this point. Petrie like, and Kulak as your top pair, brutal. In my mind. Not good enough. Yeah. Victor Mete, he reminds me of, I've been trying to think of, remember that other smallish defenseman that was on Montreal for a few years that would always get like, I'll think of his name. I'll mention he he always got into like some fights and you were surprised about how well he handled himself because of his size. Um, Yeah, it was a few years ago. But up front, yeah, Druin, I don't even know what, what he is at this point. Domi, I think he's a solid 2C. I don't know if he's anything more than that, even though he had a good year last year. Paul Byron, bye. Joel Armia, bye. Uh, Lekkonen, bye. Thomas Tatar, he'll be in Europe in two years. Brendan Gallagher is a 
borderline top six guy and he's a piece of shit. Philip Deneau is a solid center. Like, it's a bunch of like all solid players that overachieved last year in my mind, except for a guy like Domi, who I think is a legitimate, like, okay, he's somebody you can build around up front. Druin is borderline at this point. I don't know if he's going to be there much longer. Their back end is terrible, and you have a, a fantastic goaltender care price. So all that kind of adds up to me as if you're looking for some movement in the Atlantic division, I'm looking at Buffalo and Florida moving up and Montreal sliding down. And that's not to say that they're going to be one of the worst teams in the league. I just don't think that they're going to be able to stick into the spot where they made it last year. I think your analysis could be spot on or they could end up being a wild card again. Like, <laughs> and then I look like an ass. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying, like like you said, there's so many questions marks with this team that you can't predict them. Yeah. I, it, yeah, I mean, especially when it's young guys. Like, Philip Deneau is only 25, 26. Uh, a lot of the guys up front, which outside of, like, Tatar and Paul Byron and Gallagher are, like, younger guys who, even if I think they're overrated, they might not be because they're so young, so you don't really have a clear direction on what their true talent level is. I just think push comes to shove. If everybody's healthy, Buffalo and Florida jumps them. But that's for another podcast. Um, we can move on to Toronto. Now we're getting to the, the heavy hitters, the heavyweights of the Atlantic Division here. Last year, Toronto finished 46-28-8 for an even 100 points and a plus 35 goal differential. Uh, this offseason, they brought in Tyson Berry, Alex Kerfoot, uh, Kenny Augustino, Jason Spezza, Cody Ceci, yuck, Ben Harper, uh, Jake Gardner is gone as a free agent, Nassim Kadri is gone, Connor Brown's gone, Nikita Seitzev, Tyler Ennis, Ron Hainsey, and Patrick Marlowe. They subtracted $12 million from their cap obligations, but all of that, or most of that, will be chewed up once they come to an agreement with Mitch Marner. What do you got for the boys in Toronto? Obviously, we have to discuss the Marner situation. We've talked about it before, but like... There has been so much talk from his father. Like, is his father ruining? <laughs> yeah. Like, is he ruining their negotiating? Whether it's him, whether it's the team, whatever it may be. He wants an identical deal to Matthews. Personally, that's what I would do. I, yeah. I would give them matching deals so there's no issues with your two top guys who are the same age and they can fucking go through it. And it's kind of like, didn't uh, Taves and Kane do that? Taves and Kane matching deals, identical. Yeah. And I, I just think that's the smart way to go here. And people can say that they don't think Mitch Marner is the player that Austin Matthews is. I disagree. I, yeah, I, mean, I think he is. I think, I think he, he is, could too. be better. I agree. Like, he last year, like, just watching him in that playoff series against Boston, I know they didn't win, but this kid plays power play, plays penalty kill. Out there in the closing minutes of a game, blocking a shot like you know, like wants to be there, wants to win. I think this kid's your heart and soul. And I mean, mind you, he's about what? Five, 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 180 pounds soaking wet. The, the kid's a player. And then you go to the other shit that comes out where his father wants him guaranteed a letter. Like he wants an A, at least an A on his sweater, if not the captain C. And then you go a little bit deeper where it wasn't his agent who called Zurich. It was his father. Yeah. So I feel like there's a lot going on here right now, and hopefully they're able to do it. And I hope they're able to figure out for his sake. Like, the last thing they need is an Islander situation. Like, that was a nightmare for him, and he never turned it around. So 
your best player needs to be on the ice. You make it work. Kyle Dubas, get on the phone, make that shit work. I think as long as they can sign Marner, like, this is their year. This is their window. You got Riley. You got Muzzin. You bring in Tyson Barry. You have all that firepower you did up front. I know Travis Dermott's on long-term IR currently, but he'll be coming back. Like, this is your window. You have Freddie Anderson back there who played his ass off for you last year. Kept you yeah. in it. like Very underrated. Very underrated. Like, if there's any time to say this is their year, like, this is it. And the window is closed because obviously they're not going to be able to re-sign Tyson Barry. Like, all their D outside of Riley, unrestricted. And the only two that are restricted are Ben Harper and Jordan Smoltz. Everybody else UFA. Cody Cece, Jake Muzzin, Tyson Barry, Martinuk, and Hall. So I don't even know what you can or can't afford with all the people you have up front. That makes it tough. One other thing I have is obviously... I see Tampa Bay as being the front runner in this division, and mm-hmm. I see Boston and Tampa on another, you know, April playoff date, the first round matchup, pencil it in right now. If they lose another first round, I was going to get to that with you. Yeah, like what happens to Babcock? Yeah, and I that's think th- I think there's the reason why they haven't let their AHL guy go. Yeah, and, and and you said that before, like when we talked about it in the spring, but like. How many times can Mike Babcock lead you to the first round of the playoffs? Like the best coach in hockey, but he can only bring you to the first round. What a guy. (laughs) And I know from other podcasts you hear and you hear from certain players that Babcock isn't liked. They think Babcock is a piece of trash, piece of dirt, whatever it is. But if he can't get you out of the first round with the lineup that he has, where does that leave him? Where does that leave you? And I think that's a huge thing for Kyle Dubas to figure out. For Yeah. I feel like Toronto's pretty straightforward here, so it's kind of twofold for me. In terms of being straightforward, they'll load it up front, I think, especially if they get Marner signed. Like, you can put out their third line against the first line of most teams and win that matchup. Um, their back end, I love their first pair of Muzzin and Barry. Riley on your second pair is great. Not a fan of Cody Cece. I think when Dermot comes back, you slide him over to his offside and play with him with Riley as a stay-at-home guy. And then you have Harper and Cece in your third pair until Cece's gone. Patrick Anderson, probably one of the most underrated goaltenders in the National Hockey League, especially playing in a media market like Toronto. You think he'd be getting pumped up a little bit more here. Um, so, I, yeah, I think highly su- successful season upcoming. But their summer boiled down to being able to sign Mitch Marner, and they haven't been able to do that yet. So in terms of at the airing of this podcast, they haven't had a successful summer. Yeah. My question to you about Marner is, you can tell, especially since Matthew set that bar, he's not over. He's not coming in over somebody. He's not saying, "I have here's my unrealistic demand, meet it, or I want to be gone." He's saying, "Listen." I'm right on par with Matthews. We were both lottery picks. We both turned his franchise around. We're both the same age. There's precedent, like we mentioned with Taze and Kane. I want the same deal. They have $12 million in cap space. They, could be, they should be able to make it work for this season. And, and if you know your worth, and if you're Mitch Marner, do you sign for anything less? Because if he's able to work out just a deal with a European team, would he, sit, would he be the first guy... 
of this caliber to sit out for a full year since Alexei Yashin. Yeah, I think so. And I don't blame the kid here. Like, there's been all these conflicting stories, whether it was he didn't want to sign a full eight-year extension, he only wanted X amount of years. Like, there's been all these conflicting stories as to what is or what isn't. But I'm with you. Like, you know your worth. You're not asking for more than Austin Matthews. You're asking for the same. And they set the bar when they gave Matthews that deal. So yeah. obviously when they did it, they must have thought Matthews was light years ahead of Marner. Well, now you're not there. And yeah. to lose, uh, John Tavares came in for them last year and was phenomenal. 40-plus goals. The Mitch quietest Marner, 40 goals I've ever seen. <laughs> quiet, no, no, but seriously, like, quiet, like, wasn't, like, at the top of the things, like, just got it done, no problem. Marner, like... I just don't know how you just can't match them up. And obviously, if you give them the same deal just between the three of them, it would be the three Matthews, Tavares, and Marner. If you matched them up, it would be about $34.5 million just in three forwards. That's crazy. Like, you can't fill in your lineup. Like, their bottom six is a nightmare. It's no names because they can't get anybody else in there. There's a reason why when you have franchise guys like Matthews and Warner on their ELCs, those are the years you have to make your run in terms of expensive free agent additions. Because once you have to start paying those guys, your cap is chewed up. And they wasted their entry-level contract years. I know they were turning around a rebuild, but they didn't capitalize on it. Now they're reaping the rewards of that. For my, I guess my secondary question to you is, yeah, they were expecting Marner to come in at like what, nine million, I nine g- to ten. I guess, yeah, I don't know. And they were expecting Matthews to be the top guy. He's the he would be the captain, like all that stuff. And then Marner just stormed through and was like, "Nope, I'm just as valuable as him in terms of production." If that's all they budgeted and they don't want to pay him anymore, I wonder how crazy it would it be? And this is just me thinking aloud. There's a bunch of other RFAs that are legitimate top line forwards unsigned around the league that would be coming cheaper than Marner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would you would you call up a Colorado? Would you call up a Calgary and go, we'll give you Marner one for one for Kachuk or Ratnan? And dude, that is a huge decision on whoever picks up that phone. Like, huge. Huge. Who says no? I, I don't know. Be, because this is the other thing. You, you brought up the Matthews situation and Matthews is a top line center. Matthews is a phenomenal power play guy. He doesn't kill penalties. He doesn't do it all for you. And that's what you get with Marner. So if you want to talk about like value to your team and value to your franchise, I don't know how you can't rank Marner higher than Matthews. I don't. I think it's only because of position where you have Matthews is the center and Marner is the wing and usually centers are valued a little bit higher. But I think overall, just on paper, we're on the same page here. Marner is just the better all-around player. And now he's he just had the luck of the draw coming in behind Matthews in terms of signing an extension. Yeah, and and that's the other thing too because you want to go to it. Well, hey, technically I signed later than you, so the market's changed. So shouldn't I make more money if you really want to be a prick? <laughs> I think and Marner's holding up the other RFAs. If you're a Kachuk, why would you sign for an eight under the current market? Where if Marner somehow got thirteen, you can get nine and a half, ten. No shit. Like, it, it's the waiting game all around. 
Yep. So, and I agree with you just to wrap up Toronto here. If they lose in the first round, Babcock's fired. Um, he's, Sheldon Key is going to replace him, but we'll see what happens. Uh, moving on to the boys in Boston. 49-24-9 for 107 points and a plus 44 goal differential. Made it all the way to Stanley Cup final, losing to the St. Louis Blues. This summer, kind of pretty much stayed put. Uh, Marcus Johansson and Noel Akari left. They kept Par uh, Lindholm, well, brought in Par Lindholm and signed Brett Ritchie. They added one point, well, they saved $1.6 million in salary cap obligations. Uh, they still haven't signed Charlie McAvoy or Brandon Carlo, which is the big question marks hanging over their head right now. How how do you rate their summer? I mean, it all depends which way you look at it. I don't think it's a good summer. Somebody else could say they went to the Stanley Cup final with that same team. Yes, I agree with you. They did. But when you look at certain holes that we have, like they're not just holes, like they're massive holes. You look at David Krejci on that second line, and obviously we pencil in Jake DeBrusque right next to him as that left winger, but we need a right winger there. We need a Carson right winger. Coleman. Maybe Carson Kuhlman. Like, I don't know if you look from within. Maybe Stanika. Like, I don't know who's going there. And what about Paul Jarvey? I, I would love that Jesse Puliyarvi <laughs> thing, but... Obviously, we don't know what Edmonton wants and that whole other yeah. thing. I'm, I'm just going to go with, like, who's on the lineup or in the system. Like, obviously, it's a great hope to hope you could put him there. but Yeah, and you got your boy Denton Heinen back, which I know you're happy about. Yeah, phenomenal Denton <laughs> Heinen killer. But, like, everybody, like, I can't stand the bitching, the complaining. Fix the holes that we need to get fixed before anything else. Find a right winger. And Jake DeBrusque, if you're listening somewhere out there, could you play a full 82 games? And I don't mean it because, like, you get injured. I mean it because you are the definition of hot and cold. When you are feeling it, you're feeling it. Like, that puck is finding you, and you're getting in. But when you're cold, man, like, nothing. Ice cold. You go the other end, our top three, Bergeron, Marsh, and Pasternak. We can rate it whichever way we want. Awful Stanley Cup final. I say if those three play better, we win Stanley Cup. That's the way it goes. You look on lower in the lineup, Charlie Coyle obviously had a phenomenal breakout postseason. Is he going to be able to do that again? He doesn't have Marcus Johansson. Is Danton Heinen going to be able to fill a role there for him? I don't know. Um, they bring in Brett Ritchie, not really too big on them. Par Lindholm and Pavel Shen. I guess Pavel Shen's been a big player in the KHL the last couple of years. We'll see if he can find his way in North America. That's always a foregone conclusion as to whether yes, whether no. Some guys get it, some guys don't on the smaller ice surface. You look at the younger guys, Trent Frederick has a chance of making this team. Jake Stanika, like I said. Carson Kuhlman. One of those guys is going to play up here this year. That, that's just a fact. So we'll see whichever one of the three it is. Um, obviously, you touched on it, the whole McAvoy-Brandon Carlo situation. If we can't work something out and that deadline's looming, we're in serious trouble. Yeah, your back end would be not in good shape. No, and I mean, granted, we still have all the core intact, so it would be 
Connor Clifton, who had a phenomenal breakout spring last year. Matt Grizzlick, yet again. Zidane O'Chara, Kevin Miller, if he's healthy. Tory Krug. But then it's the other guys I worry about between John Moore and Stephen Kampfer. Like, those guys could be brutal. I mean, John Moore in the playoffs stepped in, and I gave him shit all year. All year. I'm not going to take it back now. He played great in the playoffs for us. In the regular season, I couldn't even stand to watch him. He was he was awful. Yeah. Like, not even close to being good. And maybe that's a kick in the ass he needs to be a better player for us. Maybe. I don't know. But Don still has a whole shit ton of work to do here between getting these guys in, figuring out the cap situation and everything else. Whether it's a bridge deal or whether it's long term, he has to figure this out. Go to the back end. Tuka Rask, what a playoff he had. Phenomenal out of his mind. Can he duplicate that? I don't know. I mean, most wins as a Bruins goaltender, he has that under his belt. I just, he was out of his mind last year in that in that spring. And I don't know if you'll get that back. When he had his leave of absence and then he came back, he came back as a new goalie. Hopefully that returns. Because if not, I mean, we had Yaroslav Halak in the wing who played very good last year when Tuka wasn't. So there's at least comfort there. But he's gone at the end of this year. So I don't know, man. I, I don't know how to feel about the Bruins. They're like, these are my boys. You want in-depth? This is a in-depth. <laughs> it's like, this is in-depth that it's going to be. You need yeah, to sign I, the other two to make the lineup work. <laughs> yeah, see, the outsider here... Unlike the Mitch Warner situation in Toronto, I feel like McAvoy and Carlo are going to sign. Uh, I feel like Carlo is going to be the first to sign, and that's going to put pressure on McAvoy because now Boston can go into the season with Carlos in their top four, Krug, Grizzly, Chara, Clifton, and basically put the nuts onto McAvoy and go, listen, Especially if they set off the year good without him. That puts even more pressure on him. But I feel like both will be signed by the end of training camp. Um, who knows how much Camp McAvoy and Carla will miss and how that will impact their season. But in terms of like an off-season quote-unquote grade, I think Boston had a bad summer. They didn't get McAvoy signed. They didn't get Carlo signed. They didn't find a second-line right wing. I know they have... They probably have Coleman penciled in there, but he would have to have a over-his-head career year to justify getting top six minutes on a Stanley Cup contending team like Boston. You have Charlie Coyle, who you can slide over to your second-line right wing, but he's better at center. And then if you slide him over to wing, who's your 3C? Trent Frederick. He's unproven. And then your third line would be Heinen, Frederick, and Richie, which is not even good for a fourth line. Uh... I don't know if your depth has been replenished um, in terms of your bottom six. Your defense is solid. Tuca is going to be Tuca. I'm just concerned about how long the negotiations are going to drift into the camp and the season with McAvoy and Carlo. And also, not only your second line right wing spot, but the depth on in the bottom six. And if that's going to be enough to counter teams that are loaded like Tampa, like Toronto. I know you guys beat Toronto playoffs, but I feel like your depth was better by the time the playoffs came around with a guy like Johansson in there. So I don't know how many traded lines 
you guys can go through just dealing away picks and prospects for bottom six depth and then eventually running out of those prospects to come in on a cheap. Yeah, I mean, our, our fourth line, probably pencil and now, Corrali, Wagner, and Nordstrom, the, the only person missing is Achari. I think that fourth line's fine. But yeah, yeah that, that, thir- that third line is, like you said, Coil, and who else is going to be there? Like, yeah, Richie, I, I, I <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't like Richie. I don't like Heinen. Th- that's yeah. just me. Obviously, I mean, they could try to put Danton Heinen up in that second line right went right wing role but if that doesn't work then he drops down like i just don't like it like that that's just me you're obviously on the same page like it needs to be better and now they're gonna bank on a couple of prospects coming up to hopefully be able to prove their worth and i don't really like that either yeah <laughs> so. you can't bank on that so like if you're rebuilding or you're turning the corner that's fine but if you're a team like Boston and went to the Stanley Cup final and you're hoping to capitalize on a window that you have with uh, Bergey and Krejci and Tuka and Chara, you can't be sitting there going, well, it's okay because hopefully one of the kids will jump forward and take that spot or we'll just trade assets for a deadline pickup again. Yeah, If you told me Kuhlman was going to be our third line right wing, I'd be okay with that. But yeah. the fact that he was lightning in a bottle and one game he could do it and the next game he couldn't that like that scares me like there's no confidence there and speaking of landing in a bottle ooh, <laughs> we'll go over, head down south once again to the tampa bay lightning to wrap up our atlantic division preview uh lightning won the president's trophy last year 62 16 and 4 for a record 128 points and a plus 103 goal differential this summer was all about clearing cap space to get Braden Point signed. They still haven't done that, but till that end, they brought in Curtis McElhinney to be the backup to Vasilevsky. They brought in Luke Shen to serve as some depth, possibly start in the top six on the back end. Uh, they traded JT Miller, Anton Schulman, Girardi, and Louis uh, Dominique has left. They shaved almost $12 million in cap obligations, but again, Braden Point is still unsigned. Expecting him to be signed, how do you grade their summer? Because I can't imagine him sitting out. No, I'm with you. I don't imagine him sitting out either. When he gets signed, whenever that'll be, it's hard not to expect the same production as they had last year. Like, you know, the the big dogs are still there. So with that, it's hard also not to acknowledge the playoff debacle. Like, if you have a year like they had last year, and then you come out and lay that big of a shitter in the playoffs, <laughs> there has to be some sort of nerves or there's definitely something underlying here. With that, you look at the lineup, Kucherov, Stamkos, when they sign point, he's there. Andre Pilat, Yanni Gord, Tyler Johnson, Alex Kinderhorn, Cedric Paquette, and then they just go and they sign Patrick Maroon, who yep. I think is going to be a phenomenal bottom six guy for them. And then you still got those other guys. You got an entry level, Sorelli, Joseph. Like, those guys all contributed for lower lines for you. I, we talked about it beforehand, and then it ended up changing when they ended up getting Shattenkirk. You look at their defense, man. You want to talk about a loaded veteran leadership on the back end? Victor Hedman, Ryan McDonough, Kevin Shattenkirk, Braden Coburn, Mikhail Sergachev, Luke Shen, Luke Wikowski, and Eric Cernak. I didn't even count Jan Ruta. I, like, I just think 
their D is going to keep them very active, very good. Vasilevsky comes as advertised. Phenomenal year last year. I there's no holes. No, like like I'm looking at it, like there there's nowhere to throw at the dartboard. It's yeah, it might be weak there. No, like if one of their guys gets hurt on the DN, they have a guy that's able to step right in and step right up and fill that hole. Like that's that's how you can grade a very good team, and that's what they have here. It's gonna be extremely hard for me to bet against them in any means. One thing I have is. What is the expectation of this team? Because you, know, like, you have to win the Stanley Cup. You have to. And I mean, we thought it was that last year, and then it wasn't. And then what is a letdown for them? Like, obviously, another first round sweep is a letdown. But say they get into the first round again and they lose, or they go to the second round and they lose. Is John Cooper now on the hot seat? Because. This window for them, unlike other teams, I feel like it's a lot bigger. Like, I, I feel like their yeah, window is a little bit bigger. A bunch of young guys. Yeah. But, like, what is Cooper's hot seat? Because at some point they're going to be like, all right, bud, like, we really want a Stanley Cup this year. Like, we really, really want a Stanley Cup this year. <laughs> so, like, I, I just don't know on that end. And, I mean, in terms of letdown, I think any. Thing short of winning a Stanley Cup is a letdown, and that might be a very New York Yankee way of looking at it. But I think last year the difference for me is I looked at it as they should have won the Stanley Cup because of the way they were playing last year. This year they have to win the Stanley Cup because of the first round sweep, because of how loaded they are, the salary commitments, everything. Everything is in place. There's no team top to bottom that has more talent than the Tampa Bay Lightning. They have one of the best coaches in the league. If you don't pull it off this year, it's a massive disappointment. And I think in terms of your John Cooper question, I would have to take a catastrophic event, I think. Even if they lose in the playoffs again, and like I said, it'd be a major disappointment and letdown. Unless he pulls something that is just mind-numbingly stupid and that costs them the series, You'd have to bring him back for at least half of the season the following year and see what happens. But, but yeah, one question on that though: say if he's a phenomenal regular season performer, like he gets them to the playoffs every year, Bruce Boudreaux. Yeah, like uh, at what point is enough enough? That that that's just my thing, and and I love John Cooper. Like I'm yeah. I'm not trying to like I am the biggest Cooper fan there is. I think he's a phenomenal coach. I just with the lineup that you have in place. Like you have to, you have to bring something back. You have to. For me, and I'm trying to equate this Lightning team to the Yankees teams of the late '90s, early 2000s, in the sense that they were so talented and they just knew what to do throughout the regular season. That technically, you and I could get this team to the playoffs. I was going to say he doesn't really have to coach. Um, I think where a guy like John Cooper and a guy like Joe Torre made their money was. There's a lot of talent. There's a lot of guys that think they should probably be getting more minutes, more special teams minutes than they are, just because guys are ahead of them. It's the managing of egos. It's the managing of the expectations, not letting the pressure get to them, shielding them from that. I think that's where he would make his money in terms of being a coach of this Tampa Bay Lightning team. If you start seeing some discord in the locker room, if you start seeing 
you know, especially like a guy like Kucherov, if you get under his skin, he loses his composure. If the team as a whole starts following that lead and he's not able to put a stop to it, then there's going to be some questions in terms of the crazy does he have it under control? So I think that's where it would come into play where if things like that start happening, as an outsider, I would be like, hmm, I wonder if Cooper has everything under, under control because if this talent, like, if this talent misses the playoffs, then the, you should just fold. Yeah. But, yeah, I think that's where it comes in there. But for me, once they get points signed, because he doesn't have the ability to be offer sheet, I don't think he'll sign. They have $12 million in cap space at this point. The clear-cut number one team in the National Hockey League. And as long as they stay healthy, it'll be okay. And I think the summer was very well orchestrated in terms of supplementing this lineup with a guy like Patrick Maroon. You brought in Shattenkirk and Shen. Uh, you were able to clear out enough cap space at sign point. I think that was a very, very well orchestrated offseason for Tampa Bay Lightning and also getting a first-round pick when we turn for Miller. I was going to say, that first-round pick's a steal because you don't know where Vancouver's going to... Like, that could be a lottery pick. Yeah. So not so, only drafting at the end of the first, but at the beginning. is that That's a nice thing. Or, I mean... They could trade away trade away their first for a yeah. deadline. Yeah, I would say they could trade away their own first round at the deadline and then keep Vancouver. So like yeah. that, that's really good standing. Um, but yeah, so that concludes our Atlantic Division offseason review slash kind of looking ahead to this upcoming season. Next week will be our Metropolitan Division offseason review, which I am very much looking forward to. Um Unless you got anything else after division, we can move on to today in NHL history and some shoutouts. Oh, let's go! All right. Well, today in NHL history, it's a very light one. Um, it's more of a shoutout. Happy birthday to Adam Oates, born Oatesy. August twenty seventh, nineteen sixty two. He was an undrafted free agent and ends up being a hockey hall of famer. He finishes his career with. 341 goals, 1,079 assists for 1,420 points in just over 1,300 NHL games. And he's inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2012. So happy birthday to Oatsy. Loved Adam Oates here in Boston. Uh, great setup guy. Could, could be one of the best setup guys in all NHL history. And, I mean, a real setup guy, not like whoever played with Gretzky and Gretzky scored goals. Like, Oatsy could pass a puck. Like, he was phenomenal to watch. Yeah, and he helped Brett Hull in St. Louis. Uh, Hull scored 72 and 86 goals playing shotgun with Adam Oates. And some of those uh, Adam Oates and Brett Hull stories are hysterical. (laughs) And you said his time in Boston. In 1992-93 season, he finished with 97 assists for an NHL leading 142 points. And I know that was a different era back then, but just 97 assists is fantastic. Yeah, that Cam Naylor was pretty good, huh? I mean, I feel like Oates kind of elevated him a little bit, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Fuck. <laughs> Who do you got for shout-outs? Uh, shout-outs this week. I have the wonderful Big Red. Uh, another shout-out, or it could be a shout-down. I, I don't know which way it is. My boy Cam tomorrow starts his first day of full-day preschool. Oh, boy. Yeah, so, I mean, that's going to be interesting. Um, I feel like it was just yesterday that I would visit Boston and I was able to hold him in one arm. 
Yeah, no, those those days are no longer. <laughs> um, I'm hoping for the best. Uh, we figured this was the best way to go forward because next year it'll be kindergarten all day, so this is probably one way to get them to adjust. I hope we're making the right decision. Um, I'm hoping I mean, for to, the best. Just to calm your nerves a little bit, I did full-day preschool, and look how I turned out. Yeah, see, I did not. I just went right to kindergarten, and look how I turned out. So, <laughs> no, um, it, it should be good. Obviously, it's just a, a nerve-wracking factor when you're a parent, when something's new and everything else. But uh, we're hoping for the best tomorrow, some good juju, and we'll go from there. Good luck, Camel. Yes. Um, Shout-outs for me, of course, for this lady who, after spending two weeks in Asia visiting China and Japan, she returned home to San Francisco for five whole days before she is on another vacation for this entire week and returns on Labor Day. So even though she's not able to listen to this until she's back, shout out to the First Lady. And not personally related, but more of hockey related, wanted to give a shout out to Billy Guerin. Yes. Becoming a GM in Minnesota. I know we didn't cover it. It's a preview episode, but just a quick shout out. Really paid his dues after his playing career ended. Uh, in Pittsburgh, where he really just rose up the ranks and earned this promotion. Um, he's very well respected around the league, and as a former Team USA winger that I grew up, we grew up watching and rooting for, I hope and wish him all the best in Minnesota. Maybe he can turn this thing around. Yes, and I mean, Billy Garen's another one of those guys that you just hear phenomenal stories about. Just top-notch, great guy. Um Outside of that issue in Dallas where he may or may not have slashed the rookie over the head, everything with him <laughs> was, you know, straight on. So all the best to Billy Garen in Minnesota. It, it should be interesting because, I mean, we discussed how big of a current debacle it is. So hopefully he's able to go in there and kind of right the ship. And like you said, you hear nothing but great things about him. So hopefully the guys will actually want to play for him or go there to play for him because GMs play a huge part nowadays and who's in and who's out. And yeah, yeah, it should be interesting. My two, and I'll do this really quick. My two favorite stories about, uh, Garen. The first one is he, when he, Crosby's rookie year, I think it was, he was traded to Pittsburgh. Garen was traded to Pittsburgh at the deadline. And the first day that, and after the first, before the first practice where Garen was in Pittsburgh, Crosby walks into the locker room. You know, he's, the franchise. He's the face of the league. The next Gretzky. He was the youngest captain in league history. He was having a fantastic rookie year. Normally, a new guy just kind of finds his spot in the locker room. Garen, as soon as Crosby walked in, Crosby said, Garen lit into him for 45 straight minutes, letting him know his place in the league and that didn't even, he didn't prove or win shit yet. And that he needed to carry his bag out to the rink. <laughs> well, the, the so, best one I heard was when Cross was a rookie, he was even scared to go and get a haircut because the, the <laughs> shit he was going to get. So I believe the first thing he said, and this is just hearsay, was that he went to the uh, well, the barber or the hairdresser or whatever he goes to, and he goes, I want to get my haircut, but don't make it look like I got my haircut. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to get ragged on by a Garen when I get to the locker room. Um, and the second thing was, and this isn't really a story, it's just an event. I think it was the 96 World Cup where Team USA was playing Team Canada and those teams hated each other. And there was that brawl that they had where Lemieux was fighting and Kachuk was fighting. 
And then Bill Guerin ends up fighting his teammate in New Jersey, Scott Stevens. It's on YouTube. It's fantastic just to hear Doc Emmerich's high pitch because he was a play-by-play guy for the Devils still at that point. His teammates in New Jersey. <laughs> so I might post that on Facebook later, but uh, those are two distinct memories I have of uh, Guerin. And like I said, we wish him all the best in Minnesota. And USA won that World Cup of Hockey for the record. Yep. Mike Richter, baby. Mike Richter in his Statue of Liberty, uh, you know, helmet there. But that wasn't a New York. That was a Boston accent talking about New York. Anyways, everybody, thank you as always for listening. Next week, as Ben has already touched on, we have our predictions in preview of the Metropolitan Division, talking about the Rangers and how they got a big turnaround coming, didn't really have to rebuild too much. But everybody... It's those summer vibes. Let's keep them going. Going into Labor Day. We'll catch you all next week. Have a good one. Hello.